Hello and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and yes, even joy. Underlying every conversation is the hope we have in Jesus Christ, which makes it possible to not just survive the loss of a child, but to live well while we're waiting to see them again in heaven one day. You can learn more about our ministry and the free bereaved parent retreats we host by visiting our website at www.whilewe'rewaiting.org. Welcome to episode number 132. Today, I'm pleased to introduce you to my good friends, Randy and Katrina Stevens. In the first half of this two-part episode, they share the story of their 21-year-old daughter, Rachel, who went to sleep one night and woke up in heaven. They honestly and candidly discuss the impact her unexpected death eight years ago has had on their family and their faith, and share some advice for moms and dads who find themselves at the very beginning of their grief journey. Katrina also talks about a special gift she received from Rachel on the day she went to heaven. I believe you'll be encouraged by our conversation. Hi, guys. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning to you. Hello. Hi. It's good to have y'all. Let's get started by giving you an opportunity to tell the listeners a little bit about yourselves. Tell us where you're from and what life is like for you there. I'm Katrina Stevens, and I grew up in Batesville, Arkansas my whole life. I've been here. And um, Batesville's a town of about 10,000 people. We married in 1985, and we so we've been married 37, almost 38 years. We have three daughters, and um, two live here, and one's in heaven. I work at a local community college at um, UACCB here in Batesville, and I've been there for about 12 years. And I'm Randy Stevens. I work for a local company here that uh, manufactures nutritional supplements that we ship all across the world. And I've worked there for almost 38 years. (laughs) I've been in the same community as well and haven't ever left Batesville for the most part. Wow. You guys have some deep roots there. That's awesome. And you didn't mention you've got some wonderful grandchildren too. (laughs) Yes, we do. We have five beautiful grandchildren, um, three boys and two girls, and they range from 10, 9. Our second one is going to be 9 in just a couple, a few days, and 6 years old, 4 years old, and 6 months old. Wow. And all from one daughter. So (laughs) they're, they're amazing. Yes, I enjoy keeping up with you guys on Facebook. Of course, I like keeping up with y'all, but I also love seeing the pictures of those beautiful grandkids. Um, Really, really a sweet family. Uh, But we're here today really to talk about your, your middle daughter, Rachel. Would you take a few minutes and just tell us about her? Help us to get to know her a little bit. Rachel was the second born daughter. Uh, She was born four and a half years after Kayla, our first daughter. And it was 1993. She was born on St. Patrick's Day. So that's one of the unique things about her. March 17th, 1993, she was born with green eyes (laughs) on St. Patrick's Day. 
And um, so her color has been green. She just, she grew up loving green. And um, the, one of the other unique things about her is she was born with an extra toe on her left foot, an extra digit. And we didn't, we didn't see it at first. Um, my sister actually was the one who, who noticed it. And uh, that's why you're always supposed to count their fingers and toes. <laughs> we learned that. Um, but she had to have that little toe removed at about six months of age at Arkansas Children's Hospital. She wore a little tiny cast, which we still have, and um, on her foot, she wore it for about three weeks, and um, she did wonderful. But we always felt like that's just knowing that about her, that that's one of the reasons why she grew up just you know, paying attention to other people's disabilities and just kind of being drawn to that. And as far as how she was growing up um, early on, she was definitely a mama's girl. I worked outside the home at that time. And so she was always real anxious to get back to mama and stay close. And she stayed close for many, many years. She was a very compliant um child and she would say things like mama even if you have to spank me I'll still love you <laughs> so um yeah I look forward to the day that I get to meet Rachel in heaven one day because so many of the things that you've told me about her through the years that I've known you remind me so much of our Hannah and I just have to believe the two of them are just hanging out in heaven and uh waiting on us to get there <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to meeting her. Me too. We look forward to meeting Hannah. Yeah, yeah. So talk about what happened with Rachel in January of 2015. Uh, I guess the, uh, the first thing, you know, is since we're going to talk about some of the other parts later, just to give you a brief overview, uh, where she was in life, she was she completed a bachelor's degree and she was accepted into the occupational therapy program at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis. And Memphis was not our, you know, that was not our first pick for our daughter to go live in. We thought she'd stay in Arkansas. Um, but that was the program she looked at, and she believed that she could be accepted into that program to get her master's degree in occupational therapy. So she did it, and she was accepted. So December 2014, we were busy moving furniture and preparing for her to move to Memphis. And then in January, we had early January, we had bought her a car so that she would have good transportation to and from Memphis. And um, on that particular day, um, it was a normal morning, the 21st of January. We just got up, went to work. And um, that afternoon, I had to take Kinley uh, to an orthodontist appointment. And one of the, you need, I'll talk about this later with the cup story that you're going to bring up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I did not text Rachel that morning, even though she had been on my mind all that morning. And I had been writing something about her that I was going to post that same 
day and it was still all fresh on my mind um, when we went to the orthodontist appointment that afternoon. So I left work, went and picked up Kinley, our youngest daughter from school, and took her to the orthodontist appointment and then sat there and worked on my article or piece that I was writing, my message that I was writing that I was going to share on Facebook. And then I get back to my desk and my phone rings, my cell phone rings. And it's about three in the afternoon. And I see that it is Rachel's roommate that she has just been living with for just about three weeks. And I knew that that wasn't normal to get a phone call from her. So my first, you know, my heart kind of dropped a little bit, you know, right at first because I'm thinking it's not normal for her to call. And so um, we had texted, we had been texting back and forth, getting to know her, her roommate. But I answer the phone and her voice is shaky. And she says, Mama Stevens, Rachel has passed away. And um, those were words I couldn't even process. It's like, what? And she said, she has passed away. And um, I said, no, what? You know, I just, I didn't even know what to say or how to respond. But we didn't, we didn't talk much. I just said, stay right there. We'll be right there. Of course, we're in Batesville. She's in Memphis. So we're about two hours away. And in the time that I hung up that phone and, you know, thought of the next thing, I have to call my husband. Yeah. In that time, you know, the, a lot of things crossed my mind. You know, I was like, I couldn't believe it, obviously. Something had to be wrong, seriously wrong with this information. And I thought, so this is what it feels like to be told you've lost a child. You know, that was what came to mind. But of course, I can't feel anything at that moment. And so I get off the phone with her. I call my husband. You know, he's at work. I knew I couldn't drive my vehicle. So I just called him. I don't even remember. Do you remember what I said when I called you? I don't remember. (laughs) It's just a blur in a way. Yeah. Um, but he said, I'll be right there, something to that effect. My coworker, I just went down the hall and briefly told her what I had just been told. I grabbed my purse. She walked me out to the parking lot to my car and she waited for Randy to get there. And so we um, headed to Memphis. And um, on the way, you know, we're in the car and of course we're trying to process all this. And my, you know, one of my thoughts was somebody's hurt her, you know, it, this just can't be right, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um. So I thought, what can I do while he's driving? So I started trying to call the Memphis police um, and connect up with someone. And I got a hold of a, the dispatch and they couldn't really they weren't really helping me at first but I kept trying and kept pressing you know until I found someone that could help me and you know I explained what I knew and after a while I don't remember how far down the road it was but this dispatch came back on and said um, 
ma'am, there is a DOA report with your daughter's name. Wow. And um, so we've confirmed in the car on the way to Memphis that it's must be real somehow. And um, we we get to her apartment and um, this is truly a, still today a blessing to us. Um, her professors, two of her professors from the University of Tennessee Health Science Center, they both um, met us on the sidewalk. They were there with Rachel's roommate to support her. And I'm sure, you know, her roommate didn't know. She didn't have a clue how we were going to react once we got there. Um, So they didn't want her to be by herself. So they met us on the sidewalk and they embraced us and hugged us and um, walked in with us. And so we just, you know, we stay there for a little while. We went into Rachel's bedroom um, where she had evidently passed away and kind of got what we could from her roommate, Amy. And um, we just, you know, we loaded up a few of her things. Uh, I remember grabbing something of Rachel's that she had sitting on the bar that had um, Isaiah 4031 verse on it. And I wanted, I wanted that with me. I grabbed her purse. We just grabbed a few things. And then we had to get Noah's dog or uh, Rachel's dog, Noah, her golden retriever. We had to load Noah up and bring him home. Randy was in our vehicle or no, I was in my vehicle and Randy loaded Noah up in her car and we came home. And I guess the one of the things that just, you know, is significant here is on the the ride home, we had to stop at a gas station. It's a miracle that, you know, God got us home after hearing this news, still trying to process it, still trying to understand. Of course, we don't know anything at this point, but I'm in the car and someone, Randy goes in to get gas and pick up something at the gas station. I get a phone call from the dean of students at UT, I believe. She called to offer condolences and you know I didn't I didn't know who this was and I didn't know how to respond to this this was you know know, I'm still just in some kind of state of mind that can't think and um, she gets on the phone and I hear her voice and she's so just so loving and and just wanted to reach out to us and and I just said you know, I, I guess I'm realizing that this is an opportunity. I don't know who this person is. And um, I said, this is where the rubber meets the road in your faith. You either believe or you don't. And um, so and she thankfully she she was I believe she is a believer. And so she understood that. So I get off the phone and the next thing is I don't know how to I'm thinking I need to pray, but I don't have any words. I don't know what to say to God right in this moment. And Psalm 23 is all that came to mind. And um, I spoke the whole passage, all six verses out loud in the car as I held to the steering wheel as we're heading down the road. And, you know, I get to verse four, you know, 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I did not want to be in this valley. I didn't want any part of this valley. Yeah. Apparently, here we are, and how are we going to live through this, you know? And, um, of course, a lot of things cross your mind. Are we going to survive? Is our marriage going to survive? Are our children, our living children, going to survive this? You just don't know the answers to those questions. So, and that unraveled a whole lot of, (laughs) as you know, you're in shock. It takes over. You can function, do what you have to do, but you're just completely overwhelmed. You know, you're, you, you, at that point, you don't even know how to process things. Right. Yeah. I can't imagine as someone whose story is so different with Hannah being diagnosed with cancer and us, you know, understanding that unless God did a miracle that Hannah was going to leave us and go to heaven. So we had, we were able to prepare. We, we knew it was coming to be in your situation where you're just having a normal day, a trip to the orthodontist, sitting there at work, and you get a phone call like that, that's just, it's just incomprehensible to me how a parent can deal with that. And and not knowing, there there had to be this, this huge element of not knowing, not understanding what happened. At what point did you find out what had happened to Rachel? Well, that, I mean, that, that day that we went to, you know, the day it happened, we just started piecing things together. And so I began to understand more of, you know, why she called me at 3 p.m. I couldn't, I think the hardest thing was I couldn't understand why is she just now calling me? It's three, you know, it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Why is she just now calling me? And I thought they were in class that morning, but turns out they they didn't have to go to class and so they slept in and which made perfect sense after I began to understand the pieces so her roommate thought well you know Rachel's sleeping in today but usually Rachel was the first one up because she had to take Noah out and she thought it was a little odd but she really hadn't thought too much about it yet because they didn't have to be at school until one o'clock that day they did not have to be in class and so around 11, 10, 11, she's still thinking, I wonder why Rachel hasn't gotten up. And she thought, well, she's probably back there doing her Bible study. She would do that on her bed sometimes. And um, so then at 12 noon was when her roommate decided to go and investigate and see what was going on. And that's when she found her. And um, she had, all we know is that she... uh, had gone to bed that night. She had played tennis that evening before. And when Amy found her, she was not alive. And um, so Amy called the uh, ambulance and apparently it had happened sometime during the night. And so there was nothing at all Mm. that they could do. And so all we knew is that she had a normal day the day before which was my birthday, by the way. And um, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. And so she just, you know, we didn't know. Um, it took months to get an autopsy report. We didn't, we didn't have any idea. And we didn't know if she struggled. We didn't know if she just, you know, went to sleep 
and didn't wake up. We didn't know if something caused it. We didn't, we didn't have any answers at all. And when the PATH report came back, there were no answers. It just said probable cardiac arrhythmia, which isn't a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that set us on a track of genetic testing uh, for our youngest daughter also and ourselves as well, just to see if there were any clues. And we came up with nothing. Um, so we just don't have any answers. But she was 21 years old. She was a picture of health. The only thing that we knew, you know, that she had ever had was she was born with an extra digit. Everything else had been, you know, pretty normal. Yeah. Yeah. So you've you've had to just learn to live with a lot of unanswered questions. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's all part of trusting the Lord. The morning of the day that you received this devastating news, you wrote a Facebook post. And you talked about that a little bit, but that post was about a gift that Rachel had given you for your birthday, uh, which was just that day before. Talk to us. Tell us the story of the chipped cup. Okay. So Rachel, had she had come home that weekend before my birthday. Um, She had come home. This was the last time we saw her physically was on the 16th and 17th of January, 2015. And we, she spent the night at our house. Um, She got to see my parents. Um, She got to see her sisters and her two uh, nephews at the time. At the time, our daughter, Kayla and Michael had two boys, precious boys, and they loved their aunt Rachel. So they got to come over and spend some time. And um, so that was, and that was such a blessing. Just a few days before she went to heaven, we got to see her, not enough time, obviously, but we got to hug her and um, just tell her goodbye and tell her we loved her. Not having any idea that just three or four days later, you know, on the 21st, um, this was going to happen. But my birthday was in there and Randy's birthday also. So um, so she'd come home the 16th and 17th. Then she went back to Memphis and took all of her care packages from our family. And um, on the 20th or on the 19th was Martin Luther King Day. And she was out of school that day. That's significant because a special friend from Batesville chose to drive over to Memphis and visit with Rachel. And Rachel asked her if she would bring our birthday gifts to us, get them back to Batesville, since she knew she wasn't going to see us until after our birthdays later. So this was the 19th. My birthday is on the 20th. And so on the 20th, which is literally the day before she went to heaven, on that day, I was at work. and. Um, one of my coworkers called and said, Hey, I have a gift sack. I have a gift for you that I want to bring to you. And it was a coworker that I'm not, you know, super, super close with. So I was like, how did, how would she get a gift sack, you know, for, for us, for our birthdays? 
so anyway, it came to me and I opened it up and um, mine, my gift, she had Randy and my gift both in the sack. And so my gift was a cup and it says her children rise and call her blessed. And on the back, it says mother. And um, Randy's gift was a travel coffee mug from Bellevue Baptist Church gift shop, <laughs> I think. And he also got a devotional book and I had a devotional book as well. So those were the mm-hmm. things we got. And so I'm looking at the cup and there is a chip in the handle of the cup. And so I'm thinking, I wonder if Rachel knows that there's a chip in the handle And so I'm thinking, well, she handed it off to someone. It traveled in someone's car and then it had to be passed to someone at my work. And they, those two ladies knew each other and had hooked up for lunch. And that's, so it got passed off, you know, to this person that brought it to me. And so I thought somewhere in transit there, you know, it got chipped, you know, just a little small chip. And so I'm thinking, Rachel won't like that when she sees that, you know, she won't like that. It's, you know, got a chip in the handle. So I was kind of torn. I was like, I'm going to call her and tell her, you know, how much I appreciate these gifts and how wild I am that she was able to get them to us, you know, on my birthday and before his birthday on the 25th. And so um, anyway, I call her and I said, Rachel, how did you, how did you coordinate all this? You know, thank you for getting us these birthday gifts. These are so special. And so she laughed and, um, you know, and I said, and did you know? Oh, no, actually, I didn't even bring it up. She said, Mom, I'm so sorry. There's a chip in the handle. And she told me, so I didn't even have to say anything. She brought it up. And um, what happened was she had gone to the Christian bookstore there in Memphis, and she had picked it up and not noticed that there was a chip in the handle. And then by the time she got home with it and noticed it, it was too late to go back and fix it because the person who had to transport it was already there. And so anyway, it comes to baseball with this chip. So that's the, the funny story about the chip is that she knew about it and she had to send it anyway. And um, that just made it all the more special for me. And so I, all evening, I just thought about it. I was pondering on it. And the next morning is the day she went to heaven, which we had no clue at that point. The next morning, the morning of the 21st was when I started writing the chip cup story. And I don't know if you want me to read a little bit of that, but just to give them an idea. Sure. Yes, that would be great. Okay. So. I have a new favorite coffee cup. It has a chip in the handle. The cup was a birthday gift from my daughter, Rachel, who is currently away at grad school. She didn't notice the chip until after she purchased it. What she saw instead was the writing on the cup. Her children rise and call her blessed. Proverbs 31, 28. She saw me, not the chip. She didn't notice the glaring imperfection. She didn't think about all the times that I had been too hard on her or expected too much from her. She saw beyond that chip. When God thinks of us, he sees beyond 
the chip. He sees past the imperfection. He can do that because his love transcends all imperfections. Love doesn't notice the chip. If we are his child, the chip remains a visible reminder that we are a work in progress covered by the perfect, complete work of Jesus Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Despite our imperfections, the potter continues his loving work. He holds us in his grip in spite of the chip. And that that is what to me is so amazing. God gave me those words before I even had a clue what was going to happen that afternoon at 3 p.m. And, you know, at the time all this unfolds, you, you're, it had already happened. Yeah. It had already happened when I was writing it. Yeah. yeah. And so then, you know, all the things about this just begin to fall apart. Your whole world is shifted on its axis. Your whole, the bottom has dropped out, you know, and you, you, you may not feel any, you don't feel God. You, you're like, where is God? in all of this and why can't I feel him? You know, why can't I feel his presence? And, you know, it's not, here we are eight years later and it's not until you begin to look back that you see that he held us in his grip. Mm. Yes. I I love that story. Uh, Every year you, you repost that chipped cup story and I'm always encouraged by reading it. Like Randy said, when you were writing that, Rachel was already in heaven and you had no idea what was about to happen in your lives. And um, I just, it, to me, it's just such a meaningful story. And I hope it encourages uh, some folks that may be listening today. So thank you for sharing that. You know, by the time this podcast airs, it will have been right at eight years since Rachel went to heaven. How do you feel like your grief has changed over the years? I know it started, you know, your grief journey started so suddenly and without, with absolutely no warning. So I know you were reeling probably for a very long time, but how, how has your grief changed through the years? I definitely has changed and is still changing. I yes. Think. Yes. I think it changes for the, all of our lives. Continually. Yes, yes. Absolutely. I, we talked about this last night as we were going over these questions. Um, you know, early on, it was just you're waxing and waning between shock and reality and, you know, wishing you were not living this nightmare, yeah. wishing you could wake up from this nightmare and wait that you would wake up and it would be gone. Um, You just can't even wrap your mind around it or no, I don't even know how to explain it honestly, but I do, I can say that every time when you go to sleep, every time your eyes pop open, it's heavy and it's there and you just stare at the ceiling, you know, just remembering and thinking what in the world. And when, when I did go back to work, we're, I want Randy to share how it was for him. But when I did go back to work, obviously I was not ready. I did not want to do it, but I did. And, but yet I was embraced by my coworkers. Um, 
I just cried at work all day. Yeah. Every time someone would approach me, I had I had tears. I couldn't stop them. And I, every time I would get in the car to head to work, my makeup was washed off. And and every time I got in the car to come home, I cried. And I just thought, I'm you know, I'm never going to stop crying. <laughs> and then there's that day that you you've just cried all you can cry. Mm. And you don't cry. And you th- you realize that you're not doing that now. And then you think something's wrong with me that I'm not grieving properly or whatever. Yes. Um, but you've just cried all you can, you know, but I will say, and, and, you know, obviously over time you've cried all you can, you don't cry so much anymore, but so how has it changed for me? You can still have raw days. You definitely have triggers, lots of different triggers and things that can just bring it on. And when you've suppressed it for a while, maybe not meaning to, it just happens, then something can just open the floodgates, you know, and you just, you just, it has to come out. I have often said it's, it's like a pressure cooker and (laughs) you can hold it in, hold it in, but it's going to, you know, that pressure is going to build and um, you're eventually going to have to let it out. Um, but I will say that most days it's not as raw as it was back then because we have worked through yes. some things and are still working through those. And the Lord gives you strength yeah. to share how different it was for him. My coworkers brought flowers and books and gifts and hugs and tears and just cried with me. I want him to share his experience. Sure. I would love that. So when I went back to work, it was very like nobody came and approached me. Nobody, you know, brought up anything about it. It was, you know, sort of like everybody just wanted everything to be like it was. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, in some ways for me, it was okay because I could dive into work. I mean, my job is computer programming. So you kind of get into that and it just kind of sort of takes over your brain and, and makes you forget about some of the other things that's going on. But I always wondered, you know, why doesn't anyone, do they just not care? They not know what to say? Well, it was only a few years ago that I found out that our HR director at the time, which I was very close to really, she had sent an email around to everyone, even in the office in United Kingdom, telling everyone to not bring that up, to not mention it to me. And so everybody just kind of stayed away. And and so that was kind of um, of tough, you know, looking back on it. And uh, now that I've found that out, I've been able to talk to other coworkers about it, you know, and, but anyway, that's something that, that was kind of different between our situations for sure. Sure. Do you think, I I, I assume that she did that thinking that would be helpful to you to to not (laughs) have people talk to you? She did. And she was that way herself. That's Mm. the way she wanted things because she had lost a husband. And uh, that's the way she wanted it to be. And I think she thought that's the best way, the best approach. But wow. 
it broke my heart for him because I had support at work and I needed that. And I felt like he needed that too. He needed people yeah. to acknowledge that a dad is broken <laughs> for the loss of his daughter. Absolutely. And that didn't happen for him. Yeah. And you wonder if there is some aspect of, you know, that that people do are more inclined to bring comfort and, and to try to comfort the mom. Oh, yes. And not as much the dad. And I think that's really sad. Yeah, I think so. And that's kind of what I was thinking was going on, you know, at the time. Yeah. Because I guess it's kind of assumed that the dad is supposed to be the strong one. And I, I would guess you, if anybody did talk to you, Randy, they may have even asked you, well, how's Katrina doing? <laughs> Rather than asking how you were doing, just because I think uh, people just treat grieving dads differently than they do grieving moms. There's yeah. definitely a tendency for people to just ask about the mom. That's what people did to our, our daughters too. Yes. Well, mm -hmm. I just said, how's your mom? You know, instead of how are you doing? Yeah. Um, and they weren't good. You know, they were broken mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. beyond words. Yeah. So hard for the siblings. And I know you and I have had conversations through the years just about our surviving daughters and how difficult it is for them. Um, people just need to be educated more. <laughs> Yeah. about grief and how to deal with the different members of the family. And hopefully hearing stories like yours, Randy, will will help encourage people to reach out more to the dads and uh, certainly to the siblings as well. What advice, you know, you guys are a number of years down the road now, but think back, you know, and, and we've been thinking back to that very beginning of the journey. What advice would you give to someone who finds themselves there right now. Um, maybe it's just been a week or a month or six months or even a year. Um, what advice would you give them? I thought about this question a lot. And <laughs> I know one thing that definitely helped me to hear is from someone else that was on this journey and she was wise enough to, you know, to help me know early on, she said, you're not crazy. You're just grieving because yes. you definitely feel that way. Um, you can't remember things. You're going down the road. You don't remember where you're driving to. I mean, all of a sudden you just have these blank out moments, you know, because your brain is just overloaded. So there, there was that, that was helpful to, to understand. And as far as just early on, you just have to let people help you. You can't do it alone and, and give, give people a job. You know, they're, they're reaching out to you and they're asking you, what can I do to help you? Yeah. You know, And so when someone does ask you that, take them up on it, you know, um, it's so overwhelming. I had a couple of friends come over and help me write thank you cards because I was completely overwhelmed. You know, there were just, there were too many, you know, yeah. and so that person was such, those two people were such a blessing because it was not something, if, if I, if it were left up to me, it wouldn't have gotten done, you know, right. they just wouldn't have been finished and you just do the best you can. I, I do remember one lady was such a blessing from, to me. She went to our church and, um, I called her and I said, can you do this thing for me? Rachel had some beautiful things, artwork that she had 
that she had created over the years. And I wanted that to be a part of her celebration of life service. And so I just called that person up and said, can you do this thing for me? And she said, absolutely, sweetheart, I will do that for you. And she and her, you know, other uh, women in the church just made it beautiful and set it all up for us. And um, so just, I don't, I don't know. There's so many things you could tell a person, but just, let people help you and give them a job because they'll be blessed in in being able to do that for you because people don't know what to do. You know, they don't even know how to help you or where to start. And um, so let them be a part of it if there's something that they can do. I know one one friend took off shopping and she bought shirts for the the pallbearers that all matched and were green. <laughs> Oh, I love that. um, Yeah, she found green shirts for everyone. And um, so just just so many blessings that we can look back on and just say every single thing that people did was such a big help for us getting us through those days. Yeah, and those are the kinds of things you remember. (laughs) There's so much about those early days of grief that are lost in your mind. Um, but things like that, somebody going out and buying shirts for the pallbearers that are green, you'll never forget that. That's really special. This concludes the first half of my conversation with Randy and Katrina Stevens. I hope you'll come back next week as we extend our chat to include husbands and wives who grieve very differently, dealing with our child's grave and disappointment with God and to hear about the Rachel K. Stevens Therapy Center, where occupational therapy students provide free services to children in their community. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to sharing the rest of our chat with you next Wednesday.